Good morning. Hey, I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 3. And while you're doing that, I find it interesting, John, that you think ripping off a staircase was the most, like a good reckless story. John worked for for me for a couple of years, and I thought you would have seen much more reckless things in that time frame. So uh, apparently not. I know Jason, Jason probably did. Yeah? Where are you at, Jason? I don't even see. Oh, he's out in the hall. All right. So uh, Proverbs chapter 3, and uh, just really excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, just a little bit about myself and my family, because some of you guys are here and you know us, and like we're tight, we're family. And some of you are here and you kind of know us, and some of you are here, you're like, I have barely seen this guy. I've been coming here for a year and a half and never hardly see their family around. And that's because uh, my wife and I, we started a process called Prefield Ministry conveniently on January 1st of 2020. Now, nothing major life-wise happened, you know, after January 1st of 2020. And so, but God's done a really cool thing. Uh, We are missionary appointees to Lima, Peru, which means that we're getting ready to be sent. Our intention is to be out of here the first or second week of July. So this may uh, be one of the last Sundays we're with you. We hope to be here at least one more time uh, before we leave. Uh, But this is kind of it. And this is the last time I get to preach here in this context and in this setting. And I can just tell you that when Debbie and I started with Living Waters, we... 21-year-old Debbie Subra and 22-year-old Cole Albright met with 26-year-old Josh Daggett at the brand new IHOP on Southeast 14th Street back in the day. So you guys, okay. And, uh, and uh, he agreed very foolishly to let a dating couple onto the core team of Living Waters. And we thought we would be here for one year. And that first year was crazy. Uh, we... We worked our tail off. We canvassed the neighborhoods. We helped set up and tear down Mobile Church over at Riverwoods, helped finish Pastor Josh's basement, which is actually where we started. And, uh, and then Debbie and I got engaged. I finished coursework at college. We got married in a blizzard of all things. So shout out for those of you who want to get married in January. Schedule it around the blizzard. So And, uh, and then we completed that year by, so our plan was to start with the core group, serve for one year from the launch point, which was August of 2008, and serve for one year. And then they just couldn't get rid of us. And so that's why we're, <laughs> we're working on that today, though, okay? So anyhow, long story short, though, God's really uh, blessed Living Waters. And uh, I think those of you who have been here for any length of time would say that God has blessed our church and, uh, and the story of Living Waters has very little to do with the core team and Josh Daggett and the whole mix has a lot to do with Jesus desiring to reach people here in this community and to then send those people to share the gospel, not only here, but now around the world. And so we're just excited to be a part of that is all. And so as we look at Proverbs 3, uh, we're looking through the sermon series this, this summer while Pastor Josh is off on sabbatical. We're looking at Solomon's wise words. And so I want to draw your attention away from our own personal story, but towards uh, the character of God. And, and as we open this passage, probably half of our congregation has Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 memorized. Maybe not verse 7, but we're going to go through verse 7. So let's go ahead and jump in. And, uh, and then we'll pray and we'll kind of dig into the text. So Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. 
fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we're humbled and grateful that we can gather here today and at Living Waters. And Lord, this is just a building, but this is your church. And so, God, we pray that as, um, as we open your word today, that you would just illuminate the eyes of our minds and of our hearts. God, that we would see the things that you desire us to see, that you would expose our own sin Call us towards repentance of it and walk in faith with you. God, I pray that as a result of even this brief passage of Solomon's, that we would trust you. And God, we pray this in your name. Amen. So trust. Is trust a big deal in today's world? It's a question I want to ask you guys today. And if you're keeping, if you're keeping notes, the, the title of today's sermon is, Who Are You Trusting? Who are you trusting? And I want you to think through who you are trusting because so many times we're called to trust people and things and ideas and processes, perhaps politically in our local government, our mayors and our city councils, and even nationally, we're asked to trust people. We're asked to trust in all sorts of things. And I don't know about you guys, but in the climate of today's world, I've had a little bit of trouble trusting. Have you? Okay. And so as we think through the topic of trust and we think through Solomon, now who was Solomon? If you're just joining us and you're unchurched or maybe you've never read God's word before, maybe this is new information, is that Solomon was one of the third considered better kings of Israel. Now people put these on all sorts of scales, but he was the third king of Israel. He was the son of David. David was like the king. He was, when we think of kings of Israel in the Old Testament, we think of David. Why? Because he was a mighty warrior before the Lord. He was humble before the Lord. He served the Lord. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And he instructed Solomon to reign in a fashion that would be honoring to God. His main decrees to Solomon is Solomon took the kingship, had everything to do with walking closely with God. And so as David poured wisdom into Solomon, Solomon Solomon takes over his kingship and God approaches Solomon. And God himself intervenes in the life of Solomon and says to him something that I bet every single one of us would ask that this would happen to us, right? God himself says to Solomon, ask anything you want of me and it will be yours. Now, Solomon was left with that question. My question for you is what would you have picked? You know, he could have picked wealth. He could have picked land. He could have picked peace because he was a king surrounded by warring nations. He could have picked all sorts of things. And when he responded to God, he asked for something that pleased God. It wasn't even long life. He said, God, give me a wise and discerning heart. He asked God for wisdom. And as Solomon asked God for wisdom, it so pleased God that God granted him wisdom that was supernatural. There was never a man, the Bible tells us very clearly, there there was never a person like Solomon before, and God promised there would never be someone like Solomon after, that he would be the wisest person who would ever walk the earth. And with that wisdom, God also granted him all sorts of things. He granted him peace on all sides, because I believe is because any king that wanted to wage war against the smartest man on earth would lose. And because of the wisdom of Solomon, people came from all nations to see 
the amazing things that happened in Israel. And at the time, the Bible tells us very clearly that silver was pretty worthless in Israel because gold flowed through the country. There was such wisdom in his governance that his people were happy, blessed, and wealthy beyond what you can imagine. In fact, Solomon used gold in the palace that he built, and he overlaid the temple of God in sheets of gold. And God blessed him because of his wisdom and his wise heart. And so it's this same Solomon who did something that the world has never seen before or since. In wisdom, he shares the truth of God with his people Israel and with us as well. He was the messenger of God. And these are God's words. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, Solomon didn't say, hey, trust in yourself, right? The wisest man in all the world didn't say, look to your own knowledge. He says, trust in the Lord. You see, trust is a firm confidence in what is to come, right? You don't really have to trust what happened in the past, do you? Does anyone say, hey, I don't really trust, you know, what, what happened, you know, yesterday? Well, you don't have to trust what happened yesterday. It already happened, right? You know, like I don't have to put a lot of, I don't have to put a lot of weight in the fact that, you know, I wonder if I'm going to eat to yesterday. Because, I mean, look at this. I totally ate yesterday, okay? You guys can relate? Okay? I don't think anyone's confused at my eating habits. And I love donuts. I actually bought a box of donuts yesterday. I don't have no trust and no question in my mind of what happened yesterday. But trust is a firm confidence in what is to come. And that's the working definition I'm going to use. As I, as I looked through dictionaries, and I looked through several, and I even did the Google thing, and I did the Wikipedia thing, and I did all the things that you're supposed to do with the word trust, including looking up the original language, which my father-in-law would be very appreciative of. But what I came up with for a working definition for us today is that it is a firm confidence in what is to come. And so my question for, for you today is, who are you trusting? You see, Solomon called us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to not lean on our own understanding. Now, to kind of illustrate this, I was thinking through like, man, what ways could I illustrate this? And I think of my son, Liam, okay? Now, when Liam was born, he was just a very, very, very little guy. He was, he was a featherweight. We took him home. He weighed less than six pounds, okay? So he's a tiny little guy. And Liam, from about the time that he could start, you know, crawling around, he loved to wrestle and play with daddy. And me, as John said, I'm a bit reckless. And so I liked to throw Liam. Now, which was really fun, but mind you, okay? And, as, and he was so light that I could really throw him high. In fact, during family pictures, so we decided as a family, it freaked my wife out the first you know, dozen times I did it, but I had a strong track record of not dropping Liam, okay? Okay, so that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, in other explanations, I was thrown as a child and my aunt dropped me on my head. And so, uh, which also explains a lot. Um, but the point is, is that as I would throw Liam, Liam trusted me immensely, in fact, Liam would jump off of the stairs at me at times when I wasn't ready because I had such a strong track record of catching him. I caught him off of different things that he would dive off of. At our first house, he climbed up onto the side of the couch, onto the arm, and dove off towards the fireplace at a nice big brick mantle, and I caught him by his foot, okay? And actually, my wife, I think you had that on video, didn't you? And so, I didn't bring the video, sorry, but I caught him by his foot, 
And so he had this strong confidence that I would catch him. And so as we did family pictures each year, I would throw him and we'd get a picture of how high, and I kid you not, six to eight feet, I could throw him over my head and catch him with relative ease because he was such a featherweight. And so we kind of decided as a family, we were going to throw him every year at family pictures to see, to see how high, you know, because we knew as he got heavier, I wouldn't be able to throw him as high. Well, Liam reaches about three years of age, and I don't know what had happened. What I think happened is this, that he, of his own accord, I hadn't been there a number of times when he had fallen, and he'd hurt himself, right? Like kids do. It's normal stuff. They skin their knees. They bump their elbows. They bonk their heads, whatever. And as those life experiences came into Liam's mind, he suddenly had a fear of, of falling down and being hurt. And so come family pictures out at my folks' house, one, one time we were out by, there's a cornfield behind their house, and I went out there to throw Liam, you know, it's family picture time, we're going to get this picture, and Liam grasped as I went to release him, and I mean, you got you to gotta dig deep when you're throwing somebody six or eight feet in the air, it doesn't matter how small they are. And so I get down and I throw him. And he grabbed my right sleeve as I'm releasing him. And let me tell you something. As he turned, he started to turn like he had never turned before. And he, you can see it all over his face. The video shows my dad about having a heart attack. Like as he starts to twist and come down head first, okay? Straight down. What happened in that moment? I know you guys want the end of the story. I'm not sharing it yet, okay? What happened in that moment? What happened is that Liam, instead of trusting his dad to do what his dad had always done successfully and carefully, he grasped for control. He wanted that throw to stop, you know, and he was down with it all the way up until the release too. Like he was, he was game. It wasn't like I was abusing my child here. He's like, no dad, don't do it. And honestly, I might've thrown him anyway, but I would have been prepared for the grab, right? (laughs) You know, but that's not the point. The point is is that he chose in that moment to try to grasp for control. How much are we like that in the world today? Right? We grasp for control when that control is not for us to have. Okay, do you want the end of the story? Okay, I caught Liam. I had a split-second decision. Do I catch him upside down or right side up? And it wasn't pretty, but he was caught and he didn't, you know, concuss or anything like that. But that was one of the last times I threw him like that. What's the point? The point is, is that the Lord calls us to trust in him and to not grasp at control, right? He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. He doesn't say trust him most of the time or part of the time or based on your past experiences. And many times we as believers in Christ or even as unbelieving people who you might not know Christ today, But we as humans have this natural tendency that as life happens towards us, as bad things happen our way, as things spin out of our control, as we seek to do things based on our track record, we seek to grasp at control that we have no business having. We try to grab at our father's sleeve when he's trying to just have fun with us. And I don't say that to to minimize the things that God does in our life, but it very clearly illustrates a point is that grasping at control in the case of my son nearly cost him a downward spiral into the dirt. So who are you trusting today? You know, as I got thinking through this trust thing, I think people trust in many things, but as I study scripture and I look at the main things, people trust 
in other people. People trust in their own knowledge. People trust in their own history, right? Well, I've experienced with this. So since it happened that way before, it's going to happen this way later. And I know that and I can trust it because I'm experienced. How many times as a young person did I hear, I, I was licensed as a realtor when I was 27 years old. And I looked like I was about 14. So that, I mean, that didn't help my case at all. And at 27 years old, my wife is pregnant with Liam. I'm scrambling to get work done. Nobody really seemed to want to work with me. So I went out and I bought some suits so I could look a little older. Nobody wanted to put their trust in this young real estate agent. And as I did, and as I, as I worked through the process of gaining a client base, it was because people didn't come to a real estate agent because they were excited about selling their own property. They came to a real estate agent because they wanted somebody who was studied in the market to help them with their greatest asset and investment. And as a young person, it was very difficult to convince people to trust me. Many people put their faith and their trust in their assets and their holdings, right? They put it in their finances. Some of you say, oh, I don't trust in my finances because I got nothing at the end of every paycheck. That might be your case. <laughs> and maybe you're trusting in something else. Maybe you're trusting in a relationship or, hey, my backup plan is this. Whatever your thing might be, you might be trusting in your own strength. How many of you guys have lived long enough to realize that your strength is starting to fail you? At some point in time, your health starts to go downhill. I was just talking with my wife last week, or, and uh, my brother, well, actually, my brother-in-law was around, and, uh, and Sean, and we were talking about what the perfect age is, right? Like, what was your ideal age? If you could lock in that age, indefinitely what it would be. And uh, I asked my dad the same question. He told me 26. He's a contractor, and so bodily, he was just ripped at 26. As you can see, he's still ripped, okay? And so, uh, and he's laughing because he's totally not. Uh, <laughs> My brother-in-law, who's an attorney, he's an attorney, and he believed that 40 was the ideal age, right? Because you're finally old enough that people take you serious in your profession. And for me, it was 33. I finally looked old enough to sell houses, I was, but I felt great, right? I tell you what, there's a difference between 33 and 36, which I'm 36 now, and you're like, that's not that big of a difference. Since 33, my knee has started to hurt, my hip has started to hurt, and my shoulders both click, okay? That's happened in three years. So I would pick 33 as a lock-in age. But some of us trust in our age and our strength and our abilities, right? Like, hey, I'm going to do this into the future with no accounting that your body might not let you. We trust in our own wisdom, how many times have you seen the accolades within your workplace or my workplace where, oh, I'm educated from such and such university, or I have this degree and this degree. You know, realtors are a bunch of arrogant folks. My, my, my line when, it, when I send out an email from my real estate email, it says Cole Albright Realtor, and it gives my brokerage name. Oh my goodness, you should see the responses I get. I get, you know, back from Susie, what's her face? CRS, BC, you know, advisory, blah, blah, blah. All these certifications flies to the moon on real estate. I'm like, wow, she's amazing. I should fire myself, you know? And why? Because people need and they trust in their own knowledge and their own accolades and their own educational experiences, right? We trust relationally. Well, hey, this is how my mom and dad or my grandfather and grandmother, uncle and aunt 
handled things. And so, you know, it wasn't the best, but it got him through. So maybe I'll handle this sticky situation in the same fashion. We put a lot of trust in things that God doesn't call us to. And Solomon, as he writes this, he tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not to lean on our own understanding. And that is completely counterintuitive to ourselves, is it not? It's completely countercultural. In fact, we're encouraged to affirm and identify and, and explore everything about ourselves and to promote it, right? Based on our own knowledge and our own experience. And you can apply that broadly to just about every topic under the sun. And God calls us back to not do that. And then he gives us a promise in that. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now, I don't know about you guys. Have you ever been on a hike through, through the woods before? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Anyone done a wilderness trip? Fun, right? You get 60-pound pack, 70-pound canoe on the top. It's fantastic. And if you've got a mean youth leader like I had, he removed the pads off the canoe. So you got to have that thing dig into your neck. It was fantastic. Okay. It's a terrible experience. I mean, ask Rob, Rob Carr. I mean, he loved it, right? You loved it, Rob. I tended with Rob on a backpacking trip. That was smelly for him more than me, probably. And, uh, and the paths were not straight. We were going up mountains and down mountains. We are going through valleys and around creeks and all sorts of places. And sometimes you even get your feet wet wading through stuff. You get blisters on your feet. Why? Because the path was not easy. It wasn't like walking around Gray's Lake Park, you know? It wasn't nice and smooth. It was about this wide, and your pack's this wide, so you get to bump into all the stuff, you know, that's around the trail. Why is that important? Is because God says that he will make our paths straight. And I use that as, as just kind of a visual help to say our life is not typically a straight path, is it? There are things that interrupt our path all the time, whether it's sin, whether it's divorce, whether it's death, whether it's job change, whether it's bankruptcy, unexpected life occurrences, right? About a little over a year ago, Debbie was driving home from church. She got hit by a FedEx truck. That was exciting. She was fine. Kids are fine. The car was not fine. The car was not fine. It was very not fine. We didn't expect it. And we had all these twists and turns. And in that, God used those experiences to expose things about our heart condition, right? Were we angry at God about it? Or were we just angry at somebody? Frustrated? Maybe argued a little bit? Whatever it was. Why? Because we're trusting in our own knowledge, right? I want, I want my own piece of justice. That truck hit us. They're going to pay, right? I want what I think should be the right thing. I want the value for the car that I think it should be. We grasp at trust, Sometimes people die unexpectedly, and it leaves us wondering what next. Do we want justice against the person that might have caused that? Are we angry? Do we struggle with hate? And it calls us to trust. Why? Because he will make your path straight. And what that means is not necessarily that you're going to skip the hard things in life. God doesn't promise to skip the hard things in life. But he'll make the path straight, and what that means in, in, in Scripture is this, that every time God refers to paths, the straight path is the ideal way, and the crooked or the narrow 
or I'm sorry, not the narrow, but the crooked path is the less ideal way. So let me give you an example of this. John the Baptist said it this way in Luke chapter three, verse four, he said, he, he was proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And there are lots of examples. This is just the one I picked. He says, as it, and so does John the Baptist speak? He says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall, hear that crooked, it's the opposite of straight. The crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways in all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You see, Solomon writes the words of God to trust in God because God desires to make our paths straight, right? And when he's talking paths, he's not talking necessarily your trip to the Boundary Waters or up to, you know, Colorado to, to, to the National Park, but he's talking about the pathway of your life, the direction in which you're going. It can head towards sin and suffering and brokenheartedness, and lack of joy, and depression, and discontentment, and constantly questioning God in a way that he never intended us to, or it can lead you towards a straight path of joy that leads you to Jesus, who fulfills your heart's desires. It leads us to eternal life. And so, as Solomon references the straight path, he's telling us, hey, trust in the Lord. He'll make your path straight. He didn't say trust in the Lord and then you'll figure it out. He didn't say trust in the Lord, you'll become wise and then you'll get to lean on your own past experiences. He says trust in the Lord. How are you doing, Christian? Are you trusting in the Lord? Are there things in your life that you would say, hey, I'm not trusting in the Lord on this specific thing? Is it your job? Does your job and the way that you do your job bring glory to God or does it bring glory to humans? If Jesus Christ were standing in the room with you, would you continue doing your job in the exact same fashion? Would you have an attitude of, well, hey, you know, I mean, I'm just here to collect a paycheck. Or would you do it with all your might? Would you lie to someone to get your way if Jesus were standing right there? And I hope the answer is no. Unbeliever person who has not submitted to Christ ever. You're trying to do it on your own. You might think, well, God will accept me if I do enough good stuff, right? Like if I do enough good stuff, it'll outweigh the bad stuff. And that's not God's standard. You're relying on your own knowledge and your own wisdom. And God calls you to trust in him. Let me tell you about something in verse 7 that just really stuck out to me this week. As I was reading, he says, do not be wise, or sorry, be not wise. So don't be wise in your own eyes. So he doesn't say don't be wise, don't pursue wisdom. He says, don't think of yourself as a wise person, right? Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And that's the command part, to fear the Lord and turn away from evil, why are we called to not be wise in our own eyes? Well, Paul lays this out really clearly, and there's a number of other passages that do this as well. I'm going to share one with you, which is 1 Corinthians 1.25, and I'll just read it for you. He says this, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Think about that for a second. How many people would trust 
someone who is not an expert over someone who is an expert. So let's just use the example of real estate, right? Because that's, that's, that was the industry that I've worked in for a number of years. In real estate, do you want to, if you were to approach two different people, and one of them owns a restaurant and has a very successful restaurant and sells amazing food. Maybe it's even Latin King for all I know. You guys like Latin King? Yeah, it's delicious, okay? I've only been a few times, but it's great. So you go there, and you've got the owner there, and he tells you what you should do with your house, right? Oh, you should sell it in this fashion, and this is what you should expect to receive. Or you talk to someone who's like a real estate broker, a guy like uh, Don Godwin. He's, uh, some of you might know Don, some of you don't. He's, he's an older gentleman. He's in his 80s. He's been a broker for over 50 years, okay? Who would you put your confidence in? Who probably knows the market better? Is it the restaurant owner, or is it the guy that does deals all day, every day for the last 50 years. And I would, I would wager you guys would all pick Don if all things are equal, equal. And what God calls us to do in this specific way is he says, look, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. He's not saying that God is weak or unwise. He's saying that literally the least knowledgeable part of God, which is nothing, but the least knowledgeable is smarter than the smartest person you could meet. And so, as he calls us to trust him, he gives us context of his character, right? We don't serve a God that is ill-advised and shoots his mouth off and doesn't say things that are truthful, right? Now, I don't know if any of you guys know of anyone in the world that says untruthful things. I know I do. And I know we, we elect them on a regular basis. It's fantastic, okay? And I don't care what side of the fence you're on. That's a true statement, okay? But God's not that way. He is wise. And though he says things that we might not like, does not make them untrue. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when he calls us to not rely on our own wisdom, it's with context, Right? Can you, does anyone in this room think just in your own mind's eye, who is the person that you would trust more than anyone in the world? That's a human that's living on earth right now. Who would you trust more than anyone? Okay. And then outside of that person, who else could you trust? Most people probably thought of either their spouse or their best friend. And then they thought of probably themselves thereafter, right? Like, well, Hey, if I can't trust my best friend or my spouse, I could certainly trust myself. And I would say this, that your wisdom is foolishness to God. You might be the most trustworthy person you know, and your wisdom is foolishness to God. And so as we consider Proverbs chapter 3, as Solomon lays this out, he calls us to not be wise in our own eyes. That is to have a humble attitude and understand where we fall in the rank. Right? God's here. We're here. If God knows it and says something and we have a different opinion, his is superior. His is right. If our best friend says this, and we might love our best friend, but if God says this, this is the correct thing. God in his word is the ultimate authority for life. Jesus said it this way in John 14. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. 
also believe in me. He was asking them to confidently place their trust in him and what he had for them. And I want to read one last passage, or I'm sorry, I already read that passage. I want to just cover one more thing in twofold. One is this, that if you're a believer in Christ, who are you actively trusting in today? You might have placed your faith in Christ, and you're like, man, I'm forgiven. I'm saved. I know that when I die, I will spend eternity with God in heaven. But I'm not going to ask God's opinion about anything. <laughs> you know, I'm going to kind of live my life the way I want and do the things I want to do and not care for the opinion of an almighty God. That means that you might have trusted Christ, but then chosen not to be sanctified by him, that is to be changed into his image, to walk in faith with God. And I would implore you, believer in Christ, that if that's where you're at today, consider your ways. Consider what God would have you do today that would change moving forward. Debbie and I, we made a decision 14 years ago to come down to this church. And it wasn't even a church. Like, this wasn't here. It was, it was the idea of a church. And as we consider our ways, I, I, uh, <laughs> I love that my mom's here. My mom said, you can't live down there. That's... That's, that's a bad part of town. And honestly, it was the bad part of town, okay? So I'm just, she was not wrong, okay? I'm just saying that because we did move to the bad part of town. And in the first year, one of the highlights that I skipped is that our front door got kicked in and our stuff got stolen right after we got married. And police were, I got called home from work and Debbie's freaking out because she walked in on it and then ran outside, got in the car. And the mistake she made was she took time to buckle her seatbelt before driving away quickly, But it freaked her out, and we were in the bad part of town, and my folks didn't want us there. I don't think her, did did you guys want us there too? We were in the bad part of town. I don't know, my father-in-law's here. There were decisions we made in the early days knowing that it wasn't an ideal circumstance, but we believed that God would use whatever we could give to do whatever he wanted with for his glory. And there was a lot of people just like us doing the same thing. So we weren't the only ones. This isn't our story. This is God's story. This is what God did here at this church. Where are you at, believer? Is God calling you to do something that might be uncomfortable or might cause you to step outside your comfort zone or maybe make a big life decision like change a job or, you know, I I mean, I don't know, go to South America. Who does that, right? Right. Whatever God would be calling you to do, I would implore you, believer in Christ, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And if you're not a believer in Christ, you're like, man, what's all this trust stuff about? Well, it's very simple. God, in his great redemptive plan, sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for our sins, and he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and he offers eternal life. And that means we have peace with God. You see, people say, well, why does, why, why does God, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, the simple answer is this, there are no good people. You see, we're all already well on our way to hell as fast as we could go. And God reached out to save us if we would believe my life verse has been John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him would not 
perish but have everlasting life. But I love John 3, 17 as well. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. Christ calls us to faith in him. He calls us to trust in him with all of our heart. And if you've never done that before, I would implore you, make today the day that you place your faith for the first time in Christ. He'll take your sins. He'll wash you clean as snow. And he'll give you a newness of life and a new purpose. He'll make your path straight if you want him to. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we are we're humbled that... Uh, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that you call us, even in the Old Testament here, to trust in you with all of our heart. And Lord, our understanding is nothing compared to yours. And so God, I just pray that you'd use whatever words were said today around your word, that you would use them to glorify your name, God, that somebody in this group would be saved. Lord, that somebody in this group would raise up and just say, you know what, God, I haven't been listening to you, and I want to follow you now. God, make today the day of someone's salvation. Make today the day where believers turn from their own understanding and just follow you without hesitation that we would follow you in faith in your name. Amen.